turn your Bibles or to <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. If you're our guest this morning, uh, welcome. Sean and Bethany, thank you all so much. Yeah, so I know our, our team loves to lead worship. Our team loves a break. And we love when you lead worship. So we're so grateful. Um, we are, and if you're our guest otherwise, not leading worship, welcome. Uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew together. That's the very first book in your New Testament. Um, we're doing this because we want to understand the life and teachings of Jesus. Um, we just, we just want to know Him. And so we're, we're working our way through this, this really great uh, telling of the life and teachings of, of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be at verses 12 through 23 today. Matthew 7, verse 12 through 20, 23. Uh, so, um, one of the pastimes that I did with my family growing up was we, we, watched, we watched movies together. We watched some television, too. So I know far too much about all my children, um, <laughs> Dynasty, uh, Who Killed J.R. Like, I know all those things, okay? So it's probably not the best upbringing. It's not a model. Um, but we also watched a lot of movies together that that created bonding moments that you know, we would carry with us quotes from these movies and these shows all the way through through our childhood. One of those movies that I that I really still en- I still enjoy this movie it was called Starman. Okay, so Starman is a 1984. I'm thinking so we're going way back. 1984 it starred Jeff Bridges um, and Karen Allen. So if you saw um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the girl that that he rescued, that's Karen Allen. Okay. And so in this movie, uh, Jeff Bridges plays an alien, okay? And he is, um, so he's off in space, and he hears this message from, that, from a satellite that the United States has launched into space called Voyager 2, and it says, you know, come visit, come visit, come visit. So he comes to visit in his spaceship, and when he does, he gets shot down. <laughs> a classic American move. And so he, he shoots him down, and he crash lands his spacecraft near Karen Allen's house in the middle of nowhere. Um, and Karen Allen is a widow, her husband has died. And so when the space the alien crashes in the middle of the night and in this mystical form, the alien finds his way to Karen Allen's house in the middle of nowhere and he's, the alien sees a picture of Jeff Bridges who is Karen Allen's dead husband. She's a widow. He's passed away um, at an early age. They're in their, in their 30s. And so the alien takes the form of Jeff Bridges thinking that this would make him more acceptable to Karen Allen. And, of course, it absolutely terrifies her because now her dead husband, who is now an alien, is back to life. Like, you see all the, the point of confusion. It turns out that Jeff Allen is not living, handling the Earth's atmosphere very well as an alien, and he's got to get home. And so the only way for him to get home is if Karen Allen takes him to the crater in the middle of Arizona, the meteor crater there, uh, before he dies. And they've only got X number of days to get there. And, of course, NASA is hot on his trail. They, they know about his existence or his possible existence. They have to take the back roads to get there. And he doesn't know how to drive. So Karen Allen gets him in the car, and, they, and, they, as, and then the movie is their journey to the, to the crater. And, all, and, and it's about other things, but this is what's happening. So Karen's driving because the alien doesn't know how to drive, and she's driving and she's driving. Of course, she can't drive forever. And while she's driving, Jeff Bridges is taking on all of the ways about driving. He's learning everything there is to know about driving from her. She is teaching him the rules of the road. And, of course, she gets exhausted, and she has to hand the car over to him. And he's driving this, uh, this car, and they're coming up on a rural intersection where there's one 
red light. And as he's approaching, the, it's red, it's an intersection, he's, it's red, it's green as he's approaching. It's green and he's going, he's going. And it turns yellow some 50 yards away. And when it turns yellow, he guns it. He accelerates and goes straight through the intersection and it leaves a crash with a truck and another car behind him. And she's like, what were you doing? I told you to watch me. I told you to watch me to learn how to drive. And he says, I watched you very carefully. Red light, go. Green light, go. Red light, stop. Yellow light, go very fast. Like, because that's exactly what she did in teaching him the rules of the road. Okay. So here we are. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, this passage, verses, really verses 7 from last week through 23 today, are Jesus' rules for the road, okay? For how to, for, for living the Sermon on the Mount, okay? There, there, are, there are four of them, and we hit the first one last week. So in verse 7 through 11, Jesus, if you were struggling with how to live the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you just ask God for what you need. That's verses 7 through 11. He's a good God. He doesn't give you what you don't need. He doesn't trick you. He doesn't give you giganta beans when you want Noki, right? He gives you, he gives you what you, you need, okay? But sometimes when you're, when you're trying to follow Jesus, the issue is not how. It's like, what should you actually do? Like, if you're, if you're trying to get a sense of motivation, like, how am I going to do this? Ask God. That's a great answer. But okay, what does this look like? That is verses 12 through 23. Okay. So look at verse 12. The first rule of the road that I want to give you today is keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. That's the law and the prophets. You can take the second half of your Bible here and say, what? You can, take, you can take the whole Bible and say, what do I do with this? Here's your answer. Whatever you want others to do for you, do that for them. Do that for them. Keep it simple, okay? So I want you to imagine that your life is basically a live-action Jeopardy game. That to live your life is to be always playing Jeopardy, right? And every answer that comes up on the screen is an opportunity for you to apply the Sermon on the Mount. Every relationship, every circumstance, every conversation. Rather, in those moments, rather than in your mind spinning through the Rolodex, trying to find the right Bible verse that Jesus said every time, you can keep it really simple and just go to verse 12, chapter 7. What do I do in this moment? Well, what would I want others to do for me? Just makes it really simple. It's, there's a reason why we call this the golden rule, right? It's like the Swiss army knife of Bible verses, right? My dad always, my dad says, it's always handier than a pocket on a shirt. I have a piece of paper on my shirt that got handed to me this morning, right? Because it's, it's handy to go right there. That's what this Bible verse is. It is emptiness of self to go back to the Beatitudes. It is meekness in action. It is to believe the Beatitudes and possess the Beatitudes and own the Beatitudes, and to, it is the expression of those things. It is the Sermon on the Mount in a verse. If you and I will take a moment to sympathize 
with and put ourselves in the shoes of other people. Just take the, take the moment and do that. We will get a ton of clarity about what the right thing to do actually is. You just have to take a minute, go straight to verse 12, and so many times we'll get it, right? We'll get it. But I don't, it, it would be unfair if in, in telling you to keep it simple, I, I don't think it's, it would be fair to give you the impression that this just makes your life super easy, okay? You need to do this. Jesus commanded it for a reason, but what you need to know is that as you do so, more and more and more of you is going to be asked. And in doing so, more and more and more of Jesus will you experience. Okay? Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, I love this story. He says, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. <gasps> Luke, he had a toothache. Like you, right? And he says, you have a loose tooth, but C.S. Lewis had a toothache. And he said, I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for the night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain became really bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew that she would do something else. I knew she'd take me to the dentist. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more that I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache, and they would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they would take a mile. Although he says something else, like the dentist. If you give him an inch by saying, I'm going to do for others what I would have them do for me. I give him that inch, he's going to take a mile. And that's why he warned people to count the cost for becoming, before becoming a Christian. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I'm going to make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less other than that. You've got a will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand, I'm going to see this through. I will never rest, and I will not let you rest until you are literally Perfect, until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you as he said he was well pleased with me. So the first rule of the road is to keep it simple. And what I'm telling you is if you will keep it simple, it could get hard. It's going to get complicated. It's going to require more and more and more of you, not less. Okay. Formation of the likes of which you may not have yet seen. Rule number two, take the footpath. Take the footpath. The second thing that Jesus encourages us to do as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount is to take the footpath. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, number two, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. I was growing up um, 
went to the mountains of North Carolina, the western mountains of North Carolina, and it's been a place that we've continued to take our family um, growing up. So our kids have, most of our kids have fallen in love with the mountains of, of North Carolina. And this past July, we went on a, on a vacation there um, uh, to, to spend some time in the, in the mountains there and do some hiking in Panthertown Valley, Panther, Panthertown Valley. And I had COVID the week before, which was awesome, and had to stay in the basement of this uh, place that we were staying for two or three days and before I could come out and, and show my, really, I was super, you know, I was a little cooped up. Let's just say I was a little cooped up, right? I was ready to get out. And um, so on that, on that Wednesday or Thursday of that week of vacation, I finally got to get out and go, and go hiking. Maybe it was Friday with, with the family. And so Trey's got Panthertown Valley memorized. How many acres is it? It's like 3,000 acres or something. It's gigantic. Trey's got every map. All, he's got the whole map memorized, all the trails. He's, he's not done all of the trails, but, we've, but he, is, he is your reliable guide through, through Panthertown Valley. And so he is leading our family down this way. And we're going to go to these certain waterfalls, but we're not going to go on the broad, wide path. We're going to take a foot, we're going to take a foot, foot path, okay? So the, the footpath takes you alongside a pretty sizable mountain stream, but it's, it's really narrow. It's, there's, it's just teeming with life, so there's parts of it. It's not maintained, per se, uh, by the, by the um, charity that was formed to take care of this place. So it's, as a result of where it is and how it is, it's very slow going, lots of roots and rocks and slippery mud, but there's some places to hold on. It's, so it's challenging, but it's not so challenging that you think I've made a mistake, I need to turn around, right? Does that make, that make sense? So we took, this is my first time out in, in a while and it's coming off of COVID. So we're, we're taking this very slow, overgrown, rarely traveled footpath that's only on the official maps. If you look at the maps when you get there, like they don't, they, they don't point to this. You just, you kind of have to know about these maps. You know what I'm saying? You gotta know about these maps, right? It's very special, right? Um, so we're, we're, we're taking this and we get to the waterfall and it like opens up and it's this beautiful waterfall, you know, just really wide, you know, I don't know, 10 to 20 feet coming, coming down. You can walk in behind it. it. It gives you this wonderful pool. And there are all these other people there with their dogs and they're picnicking and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, do they really appreciate it? Because they didn't take the footpath. They took the wide path, the one that you, when you go to the parking lot, Right, and you and you and you walk down this, you know, ten foot wide, paved, then graveled. Um, it gets a little bit narrow, but honestly, you can get your car down it if you could get your car up there. Like, and you just, you know, just a few switchbacks, and you're like, oh, how pretty! Oh, there's a waterfall. Like, you just can, you can just walk down there with no consternation, no sweat, uh, just no no pressure at all. They took the tourist path, and we had taken the the foot path. Okay, so in that case. The wide path that anybody and everybody, it was made for everybody to walk on, took you to the same place as the narrow path and the footpath. But Jesus' point here is that's not the case when it comes to life. Only the footpath leads to life. The wide path is going to a completely different place, even though it's populated, even though it's commodious, as the theologians say, even though it is wide and easy and accessible and really cool place to be as far as most people are concerned. It's not going to the same place that you really do want to get to. Okay? 
The road that leads to not life is narrow, which explains why so many people fail to find it. It's not the obvious way to go. It's got to be found. Have you ever been walking down a trail and you see on the, on the side, you're like, what's that? Kind of looks like a looks like a path there. I wonder where that I wonder where that goes. Okay, there are two kinds of people in your family. One that's like, who cares? And you just keep going. And the other person's like, let's go see where that goes. Okay. The path with Jesus is that path. I wonder where that where that goes. It's the the one that, that's not made for everybody. It's the footpath. It's the one off the, the trail. No one is going to drift into that path. They're not just going to drift that way. It's got to be found. Okay? In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson reflects on this, this issue in our culture. So listen to what he says. He says, religion... This is an old book, and it's 100% true. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. Not doing anything else this morning. I think I'll go to church. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, it's an occasional visit to a special service. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, will plan their lives around a retreat or a rally or a conference. Maybe we'll go see a new personality to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and expand our otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and the newest. Zen, faith healing, human potential, successful living, We'll try anything until something else comes along. That's the wide path. That's the wide path. Anybody will do that path. The Jesus path is narrow. So Jesus is saying, choose the footpath. Choose the narrow path. Choose the narrow gate. Otherwise, you'll choose any wide path and gate that happens to look good at the time. Okay? Which leads me to my next point in verses 15 through 20. Keep it simple. Take the footpath. Tune out the alternatives. Look at verses 15 through 20. Tune them out. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. We saw this in Solomon today if you were in Sunday school. We are all just one falsehood away from slipping down a slide into false belief and false teaching, okay? A church is one false teacher away from doing that as an institution, okay? So what Jesus is warning against here is deceit, okay? We're to recognize you. This is not my responsibility. 
for the organization. I mean, okay, yes, it is. But it's not just my responsibility. You are personally and institutionally, because we are one body in Christ, you are responsible for recognizing false teaching, false teachers. How? By the fruit that's produced in their own personal lives. Okay? The thought is, it's not the outward appearance that's so important, right? That's why Jesus says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are wolves. You're not going to recognize it by just the outward appearance. You actually can only recognize, truly recognizing it, confirmation of false teaching by the fruit that exists in the person's, in the, their personal life. Okay? Very hard to do this if you go to church on a podcast. Very hard to do this if you are going to church on television or through streaming. I, I go to church at... Uh, so I was talking to a, 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 a person that I was doing business with two weeks ago. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina, goes to church in Atlanta. How does that work? Well, he watches it on television on Sunday morning when it's convenient. Sometimes it's not Sunday. Right? He's, he's not going to be able to do this because he's not going to be able to discern the fruit of any particular teacher's life because he's not in a relationship with them. You can't see the things that false prophets do, the produce of their manner and thought and life. So Jesus is saying if the disciples will just take note of what these, false, these people actually do, they won't be charmed by the false words because they'll recognize them for exactly who they are. Okay. And if it bears fruit that is not in keeping with the Sermon on the Mount and the gospel as a whole, then Jesus says, tune them out. Tune them out. Read all the great books, okay? There are lots of outstanding podcasts and teachers and videos. It's not, this is, Jesus is not saying that. What he's saying is, you're not going to be able to discern a false teacher if you can't see the fruit that's coming out in their lives. And the way you do that is you have a relationship with the people who are teaching you the Bible, okay? So there's a, there's a sculptor and an artist in Syracuse University. His name is Sam Van Aken. And a few years ago, he created the fruit of 40 trees. Excuse me, that's not right. That's what I typed here, but that is not the title. The title is The Tree of 40 Fruits. That's what he created. Not, he didn't sculpt it. He actually created a tree that blossoms and produces 40 different kinds of stone fruit on one tree. And he did this by grafting together branches from different trees. Now, he was doing it, if I remember the story correctly, he was doing it as an artist. So even as he would graft something in, he would actually have a sketchbook there, and he would say, with a different colored pencil, like this one is, you know, apricot. And then he said, this over here is apple, and this up here is cherry. He was doing it to, so that when it bloomed in the spring, that you had this incredibly perfectly sculpted piece of art that was, that was, a, that was a real live tree, right? Um, so it, but when you're looking at it, before it blooms, it just looks like a tree. You see these little pieces of plastic where he's put buds on and grafted vines together, but it just looks like a tree until it, until it blooms, right? And then you see shades of pink and white and crimson, and then you see 40 different kinds of fruit in the summer. It's crazy. Okay, even a tree of multiple fruits is known by its fruit. 
That's why he gave it the title, The Tree of Forty Fruits. So there's a helpful illustration, I think, for you and I to take note of what Bible teachers actually do, not just what they say, so that you can recognize them for what, who they are, what they are. Because if, they're, if the fruit comes out not looking like the, what the gospel is, that means something about what they're saying is not lining up with, with the truth of the gospel because it's resulting in something different, and that's the gospel. Okay? And if that's the case, we need to tune it out. This is harder to do than you might think, which is why Jesus elaborates in verses 21 through 23. Look, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does, its fruit, the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we hear some fruit? prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, if that isn't the most terrifying passage of Scripture you've ever read in your life, Jesus lays out some of the ways that false prophets and teachers can appear to be bearing fruit, but aren't followers of Jesus, okay? The people in verse 21 through 23 are on the wide path. They are on the wide path, going through a wide gate, but they look like people who could fit on the narrow path going through a narrow gate. They verbally affirm that Jesus is their master. Lord, 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 Lord. That is an enthusiastic, joyful association being proclaimed. But there's no real fruit in personal obedience that gives others the ability to confirm that they're in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Okay? So... What Jesus is pointing out here is that the, the, the call to discern genuine fruit in our life and the lives of others to tune out alternatives to the narrow path that good is the enemy of the best. Okay? Some of the false teachers are very convincing. Okay? Jesus says they may be preachers. They may perform exorcisms. They may do some kind of miracle that we're going to read about here in Matthew 8 in a couple of weeks. But if there's, those things may or may not be actual gospel fruit. Okay? We say, well, what's gospel fruit? How do you know what exactly what is gospel fruit? Well, that's how we started. That's the Beatitudes. Gospel fruit is poverty of spirit solemnity and awareness of the brokenness of this world and living in that reality. It is meekness and humility in relationships. It is a desire to see the kingdom of God bear fruit in the lives of lost people and make an impact in this world. It is a display of mercy, the likes of which the world cannot explain apart from Jesus. It is a 
a personal holiness that carries no pride or superiority over another person. It is a person who is not afraid to make peace instead of just keeping the peace. It is a, that, that's a follower of Jesus. That's gospel fruit. You can be a whiz-bang preacher. You, you can perform miracles. It's not necessarily gospel fruit. In fact, a lot of people look like that, but they don't have the Beatitudes. Guess what? They're on the wide path. On the wide path. The call to righteousness. This is Craig Blomberg. He says, the call to righteousness encompasses what? Personal virtue, private devotion, unselfish social behavior. And to these things, seemingly supernatural powers are incidental. The true supernatural power is the Beatitudes. That's the power. That's gospel fruit. So you've got to look for the things that don't want to be seen. Gospel fruit can hide in its tree. Not unlike the path that is narrow and the gate that is narrow. It's hard to see. Three rules of the road. Keep it simple. Take the footpath and tune out the alternatives. Most of the Christian life is really not that complicated. Okay? We can usually know what to do if we'll just keep it simple. And to do that, is, is, that is to take the footpath. It's not the way most will choose, but it is the way to Jesus. And we must tune out the alternatives and bear gospel fruit as we go. Let's pray together. So before I pray, I, I just I want to, to make a really clear points of application and invitation. The, the first of which is, if you were considering Jesus, I just think you should consider the cost. Um, when you're weighing a, a big decision, you, you want to know, to the best of your ability, what you're setting yourself up for. Well, I think C.S. Lewis said it very, very well. You're not just going to get your teeth pulled. You're going to go to the dentist and get your whole mouth set straight. Okay? So Jesus is, is, is all in your business. And, and you need to know that it is the most rewarding and life-altering transformational things that you will ever give your, your heart to. He is. That's what he is. And so don't, don't come to Jesus thinking that you're going to be able to keep him at arm's length. It's just that's not the way he works. And, and to those of us who are Christians, I would say I hope that you feel a, a really great uh, um, relief because the Sermon on the Mount can be, can, can if, it's not, if it's not approached rightly, it can just make you feel, well, you know, how, how am I going to do this? And what you, what you need to remember is that you have a good God who will give you everything that you need. And by the way, if you'll just do for others what others you would have them do for you, you'll, you're going to get most of it covered. You'll get an A on the test. Okay? You get an A on the test. So celebrate and worship the, the light burden. Um, the light yoke, the easy yoke that is, that is the gospel. 
the exchanging of his righteousness for your own and the gift of the Spirit to live as righteous as Jesus did. That's way better. That's way better. Okay? So, Father, we, we respond to these truths today. And, and we ask that you would um, empower us to believe the gospel and to live it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.